hello. It's been an awful year. Like, just terrible. Look around, it sucks. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. There are actually a bunch of lights, more lights every single week. Seriously, this is the part of the movie when the rest of the good guys show up just in time. The breaking news is that the first coronavirus vaccine has been approved for use in the UK by the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, that's the MRHA. Key data from clinical studies of 24,000 people show the Oxford vaccine is 90% effective. More hopeful news on the COVID-19 vaccine front. Moderna says new study results suggest its shot is more than 94% effective in preventing the virus. There is some good news from Pfizer tonight. They're now reporting their vaccine is even more effective than first thought. It's all happening. Canada has appointed a general to oversee its vaccine distribution and immunization program. We've bought a whole bunch of doses of a whole bunch of different vaccines. Sometime very soon, needles will be going into the arms of our frontline healthcare workers who have been risking their lives since March. Sometime soon after that, into the arms of some of our most vulnerable. And eventually, yes, into your arms. Naturally, though, sometime soon and eventually are words that are just begging to become the latest politicized debate. Justin Trudeau has set September as a possible vaccination objective. Just think about that. Ten more months of business closures, of limitations, rising mental health issues, domestic violence, Mr. Speaker, Australia, a very similar-sized country to Canada, has a plan that you can look up on their website with detailed steps about everything that's going on with their plan. Why won't the Prime Minister tell Christina what is the plan for the vaccine? From the beginning, we uh, signed one of the most uh, diverse range of contracts of any country around the world for more doses per capita than any other country around the world. So, who's telling the truth? Who's lying? What do we actually know right now about Canadian vaccine purchases, production capacity, and concrete plans and timelines for distribution? Is Canada at the front of the line or behind a third of the globe? Do we have more vaccine on order than anyone else on Earth? Or will we be waiting months before we even see doses available for the general public? And listen, because sometimes I ask myself questions to which I already know the answer. Will this, the COVID-19 vaccine, be the key issue in the next federal election, whenever it's held? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Matt Gurney is a commentator and a columnist for TVO for The National Post. For many places, he joins us now from his basement studio with his dog at his feet. Hello, Matt. Hello. And for, for the record, no longer even at my feet, now just roaming behind me impatiently. So we'll see how this goes. That's perfect. We are uh, friend to man and beast on this program, so he's welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, but I'm uh, trying to figure out what the hell we know and don't know about vaccines in Canada and when and which ones and how many. Um, how confusing is this whole uh, mess right now? It, I, I've i been following it for days and 
the most that I can conclude is that no one really knows what's going on and whether or not that's a natural byproduct of a complicated, fast moving process, or if this is a sign of dysfunction, I don't even know that. Uh, we just had an update within the last hour uh, from the federal government on, on vaccines and when we expect them to roll out. And I, I don't want to say the information was contradictory, but just as a small example, uh, the federal government said for one of the vaccines, they're expecting information within the next few days uh, to, that would, you know, for the, for the approval process. They need more information. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Later in that same press conference, we're told they're expecting that information tomorrow. And it just, it just hmm. speaks to this problem we have where even within one press conference from the highest authorities, we end up having a different understanding of what's going on. Well, give me a sense of the politicization of it because um, the federal government's been taking criticism from both sides of the aisle over this recently. Yeah, this is this is completely and inherently politicized at this point. And this is something I've been writing about in my own columns recently. If you are just trying to find out what's going on, if that's your, your only objective, you want to know what's happening, good luck to you. You're not going to find that out. What you are going to find out is that the, the liberals within the federal government think the federal government's doing a great job and the people within the federal government who are not liberals are going to say that the federal government is not doing a great job. Other than that, I'm at a loss. I really can't tell you much more specifically than that what's going on. There was an interview last week, and this is just uh, instructive of, of the problem. Let me just give you an example of how the partisans uh, said on this one. It was the CEO of Moderna, one of the companies that uh, has one of the leading candidate vaccines that Canada does have rights for, and we do expect to get some soon. The CEO of Moderna in an interview said that Canada was not at the back of the line. And that was in response to some, you know, suggestions by conservatives that Canada was at the back of the line. So when the CEO said that Canada was not at the back of the line, the liberals and their supporters seized on that and said, aha, see, we're not at the back of the line. Well, that's great news. The problem is not at the back of the line is not the same thing as at the front of the line. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if that actually made us any better off. As I said in another interview, if you if you are on a plane with 100 people on it, and if the plane's going down, and if there are 10 parachutes on that plane, 11th in line is not at the back of the line, but you're still not going to be particularly happy with your spot there. So this is the sort of thing where we, we had like a couple of, maybe a day or two of, of a news cycle that hinged on what exactly we should read into not at the back of the line. This is not This is not particularly edifying for anyone here. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because um, on Twitter and and in at least one of your columns and, and in a video that I watched, you've attempted to make sense of what we actually do know. And I realize that um, that's really difficult right now, but especially in regards to domestic vaccine production, which would be, you know, doses that we can make here and give to Canadians. Uh, what do we know about our capacity for that? Well, I mean, let me kind of walk you down the list then of what we can say for sure. And don't don't worry too much. It's, it's not going to blow up the whole interview here because it's a very short list. Canada, we know, has signed agreements with a variety of vaccine manufacturers. That is something the government has touted. They have said that Can Canadians have more deals signed with, with vaccine producers than any other nation. That's great. We don't know the details of any of those deals, so we don't know exactly where we would fall in the sequence of deliveries. So that's what we don't know. In terms of production, we do know that 
the, some of these vaccine candidates rely on different technologies. All the leading candidates right now rely on a technology that the National Research Council of Canada has said uh, we do not have domestically available to us. There's even some controversy over that. That's been disputed, but the, the NRC has said we do not have the ability to produce these vaccines in any bulk domestically. Maybe small research facilities would have the ability to do very small batches, but in terms of a meaningful production run, the NRC has said we do not have that capability. Some of the vaccine candidates do use older technology which we might have better capacity for, but none of them are at the front of the line right now. So we are very focused on the mRNA vaccines. We also know that the government of Canada some months ago announced that it was going to retrofit a research facility, which does have the ability to make these vaccines, but only in very small quantities, that they were going to expand the size of that facility so that we would have limited but meaningful production, maybe 100,000 doses a month, for example. That's not enough to end the pandemic, but 100,000, 200,000 doses a month would be enough, for instance, to vaccinate long-term care homes and healthcare workers and stuff like that. So this is all, this is all good news. The government had also said that it was going to produce a full-sized facility, and that was going to be available sometime next year. The problem was the smaller facility was supposed to be ready first due to construction construction delays that has also been pushed into next year. So at least for the next six or seven months, basically we're dependent on imports of vaccine from abroad. And when you say that, you know, we haven't seen those deals, so we don't know where we stand uh, in line for those vaccines, would the government know where we are in line or would they just know that, you know, we've bought X number of doses? Like I'm trying to figure out uh, what we don't know that we don't know, if that makes sense. You know what? That's actually a great question. And I've been trying to find that out for about six days and I've made absolutely no progress. I don't even huh. know what the government knows about what we don't know. <laughs> so and I mean, there, there's one other element just introduced to this here. And we've already spoken a little bit about the partisanship here. I'm not trying to derail this into partisanship. I'm just trying to acknowledge the obvious. This is going to be a big make or break thing for the federal government. If if we if we nail this thing, if we ace the vaccine rollout and we crush the pandemic, I don't think I'm indulging in too much political analysis there to suggest that that is good news for the incumbent federal government. If we do the opposite, where if we if we botch the rollout, if we're way behind our allies, if other countries are getting it first, I don't think again I'm overstating the case to say that that would be bad news for the current government. So so there's a lot of attention on this, and the fact that uh, we're, we're not getting great clarity of information from the government, I don't know if that reflects caution on their part. Maybe they don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So I think just the, the, the obvious element of partisan advantage or disadvantage here is making it even harder to try and make any sense of what information we do have. Yeah, I mean, I said to... When I introduced this episode that this is probably, I would say, going to be the hill that the next federal election is fought on. It's just yep. it's too big a deal not to be. Yep. No, I mean, that that's my sense as well. Um, and I, I think I mean, I guess I guess it depends on when the next federal election is. If 2020 has taught me anything, it's that there might be something totally unexpected right around the corner. 
But as of right now, uh, you know, even with the prime minister saying a few days ago that the government's recent economic update could well become a matter of confidence, there is certainly the possibility that an election comes sooner than later in a minority parliament. What would it mean for us in the current situation? I'm, I'm not honestly sure. There might be a reason to hope th- for the liberal sake that we would have the election sooner than later. Meanwhile, the opposition may see advantage in delaying that until we know what uh, what happens with the vaccine. There's so many there's so many knowns right now. Uh, pardon me. There's so many unknowns right now. I should say that trying to make heads or tails of any of this is almost impossible. And meanwhile, like I'm not even trying to get obsessive about the politics. I just want my life back. I just want to get back to something closer to normal here. And, you know, we in this country have a government that is not how how to say this, how to say this appropriately without lapsing into foul. You don't have to be super kind here. Well, I was just going to say, we live in a country that is absolutely ridiculous in its state of access to information, and successive governments have promised to clean it up. They all fail. The problem is the only people who have the ability to change our access to information systems are the people who, once in power, have almost no incentive to do that, and it shows. Here's a question then. Uh, Considering that there's so much that we don't know about what's going on in Canada, how do we compare right now to uh, some of our peer countries? You know, does anybody have timelines and doses, our needles going into arms. I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, how far we are behind, if we're even behind yet. Well, it seems to me, and I, I don't I don't pretend to have total comprehensive knowledge of everyone, um, but I mean, just kind of looking at some of, some of the immediate uh, closest allies, the Americans do seem to expect uh, to be receiving vaccine in quantity within the next few weeks before the end of this year. Well, in the balance of December, the British could begin vaccinating as soon as next week. Uh, as of as of an interview I was doing with a, uh, a Canadian correspondent based in in the UK, I mean the path, the first doses of vaccine there could be rolling out. This is not a matter of weeks necessarily. This could be a matter of days. The European Union um, has domestic production facilities in some of its countries and has said that we could be looking at vaccine rollout in January. And uh, Australia and New Zealand are targeting more towards March. One of the the other wild cards here, and I, I feel bad. All I'm bringing you is ambiguity and not any answers here. But what what do we count as your first date? Let's say, for instance, Canada gets, as we expect, three million doses of the uh, Moderna vaccine. I think is the first one due up in January. That's enough to vaccinate a million and a half people. That's great. And we could say, hey, we started in January. We were only a few weeks behind the United Kingdom and the United States. But then what if we don't get any any further shipments for seven months? So what if we're right at the start of the line with an initial batch, but then months and months and months go by and we get absolutely nothing else? Well, when Justin Trudeau says that we are one of the most prepared countries on earth to get everyone vaccinated. He's talking about how many doses that that we've theoretically secured, right? And that is more than anyone else on earth. Yeah, and I mean, one of the advantages of that, and this would obviously be good news, is that with these vaccine doses that we, that we secure, we can then donate them. Like once we have met our domestic needs, we can just immediately pivot and give these to countries that do not have any domestic production capacity or uh, do not have the, the economic means to kind of muscle their, their way forward to the front of the line. And that's something we should be doing. That is something that the rich countries should absolutely be doing. This pandemic's not over until it's over everywhere. So it's in our own self-interest. Mm-hmm 
interests, mm-hmm. but it's also in our humanitarian interests to donate those vaccines. But the other the other issue, of course, is that uh, some, hopefully not all, but some of these vaccines could likely be a bust. They could produce negative health outcomes. They could have unknown or unquantifiable dangers. They could simply prove to be not particularly effective. And even, even if all of them prove at least reasonably effective and reasonably safe, we might see pretty quickly which ones are the superior versions. So it's good to have a lot of options. It was good to have eggs in different baskets here. But ultimately, in terms of which one is going to be the winner, I'm not sure about that yet. And it raises the interesting possibility of three months from now, if all goes well, and we do have vaccine candidates to choose from, it raises the interesting possibility of some Canadians going, oh, I don't want that one. I want the other one. Right, like a brand name or off-label drugs. Absolutely. Or in a weird way, it could even become, uh, even if there's almost no efficacy difference and no safety difference, you might just want the one you're more familiar with from the news. Right. Well, I want to ask you about uh, the emotions behind this, because I think that this is what makes it such a highly politicized issue. I mean, when you were talking to me just a minute ago about how quickly needles are going into arms in other places in the world, I I started to get angry at my government, even though I know um, that everything might still be on track and that everything is probably fine and and we've got lots of resources. But like there is going to be a visceral emotional reaction uh, to Canadians seeing other people getting vaccinated. In my own weird way, I think I'm thinking of this on on a time scale of summer. And it's going to be a weird winter in Canada, but we're Canadians. We often hibernate the winter anyway. We don't necessarily do much. So I have no problem writing off the winter, hunkering down, laying low, you know, eating delicious soup, having nice roaring fires in the fireplace and do, reading some good books. If if we get vaccines over the next few months and we put them into the arms that are going to save lives, I think that's entirely appropriate. But don't you dare cause me to lose a summer. If I can't get back to a life as normal by the time the good weather's here, that's when I'm going to start getting upset. And I know that's that's probably irrational. Um, I, I think I've made my own mental peace with having uh, no, no normal winter, just having to lie low, continue lying low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would get upset if the good weather comes back and we're still in some weirded out uh, semi-lockdown like Toronto is in now. That, I think, would be very, very frustrating. Then again, I am reasonable. If there are problems with logistics, production, rollout, delivery, all of these things are possible. If we discover that some of these vaccines are not effective or they're dangerous, I'm okay with that. I I, I understand we, we need to make sure this is safe. The issue becomes, and I think you've, you, you've identified this correctly, if our American friends are on their jet skis and barbecues and just having an amazing summer while we're all still cooped up and being told, any day now, folks, any day now, well, that's when I think things could start getting ugly. Oh, I'm so getting angry just hearing that. Well, yeah. And I mean, there, there's again, there's two very different uh, things here, right? I mean, there's the possibility that delays in vaccines could result in literal death. And I'm not trying to understate the possibility of that, but yeah. I'm just saying we need to kind of keep our, 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 our focus on that. In long-term care homes and hospitals, we could be looking at a really ugly uh, few months coming up. And vaccines could potentially literally save lives, which is obviously important. So, of course, I understand that the initial doses need to be rationed and put where they're the most useful. And then, you know, after that, we have healthcare workers, we have teachers, we have critical essential logistics workers, things like that. Totally get it, totally understand. Yeah. But damn it, I want my shot before the May 2-4. Yeah. Um, what will you be watching for? And, and maybe what should everybody be watching for in the next few weeks that might 
um, give us a bit better sense uh, of whether or not we're ready to rule this out, whether or not uh, we bought the right doses, we got enough of them, we're prepared. Like, you know, what are the first steps, uh, the first concrete steps that we'll see uh, for a rollout? Well, that that's actually something I, I can speak a bit to because I've been uh, looking at that issue in particular. So I have no idea when we're actually going to get them, but I can tell you what's going to have to start happening first. We're going to have to, for some of these ultra-cold vaccines, we're going to have to establish central depot locations. We're going to have to figure out where we can put this stuff. In the big cities, this is probably going to be pretty easy. If you live in Toronto, if you live in Calgary, if you live in Montreal, you're going to have a depot, maybe multiple depots, somewhere in your city where this stuff can be stored ultra-cool, ultra safe, undoubtedly under guard. And then when ready, it will be distributed to local distribution sites. And again, if, if you're in a city, this is not going to be a problem. Some of the bigger work is going to have to go into smaller uh, settlements and particularly remote northern communities. That's going to be very difficult. When the winter sets in and some of these places become uh, very limited access, I think there's a reason we've brought in the military to run this. This is going to be a very complicated logistics operation and probably only the military could do it in this country. So that's some what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. We're going to see increasing involvement by public health authorities and the armed forces to prepare for a vaccination rollout. Um, but in terms of actually learning more information of uh, when we will actually discover when these vaccines are coming and what the initial dates might be, I, I shudder to say this because as any good Canadian journalist, I'm horrified for this to be the case, but we are at the mercy of the government communications staff and I think, you know, <laughs> that's never a good place to be when you're a journalist in this country. As somebody who's uh, spent a fair bit of time, I think it's safe to say, covering partisan political bickering, um, what do you make of how quickly this has turned political? And does it, I, I don't want to say odd, but but does it feel a little strange that it has given that, you know, this is still the middle of a raging pandemic. There are still a lot of lives at stake. These first doses are going to be so critical for hospital workers like it, it, it still feels a little wrong to me that that we're getting so uh, so partisan so quickly over this. I think you know what you're you're not wrong. Uh, I, I definitely have that same that same sense that you do, right? That we should all be wrapping ourselves in the flag and coming together as Canadians and linking arm in arm and whatnot. So I 100% do understand that. But I think the the, the flip side of this is that this is a government, again, that is not giving us a ton of information. And even if the honest answer was we don't know, that would be fine. But I think when, again, this is not a, a particular failing of this federal government, this is sort of an omni failing of all political parties in Canada. Information is so tightly controlled and regulated, and there's such a culture of non-transparency in this country that I think other than having an aggressive push by the opposition backed by the media, I don't think we're going to find out nearly as, as much as we want to. And this is not as benign a situation as, well, just you know, sit, sit down, shut up and, and, and wait and be patient. This is the most important thing you and I have lived through in our lives. And the rollout of a vaccination program across this country is what uh, thousands of lives in our entire economy hinges on. And if there is an information void, bad actors will fill it with bad information. So the government simply does not have the luxury of communicating at its usual languid pace. It needs to step up with information here. I do think, you know, the, the pressures of a minority parliament, of a, of a relatively new and untested opposition leader, of a prime minister who 
who not long before this pandemic hit was politically wounded by some of his own foibles and then still found time to squeeze in another scandal in the middle of the pandemic. Like I, there is not a ton of goodwill left in our politics and that's not good for any of us. But I also, I, I had said this on Twitter earlier in the week, as far as I can tell, Opposition claims that the liberals have botched this are inaccurate and unfair, or at least premature. So I think, honestly, the government may well have a legitimate defense on this. But what the government does not have, and I'm specifically referring to the liberals here, not the public service, what they do not have is any accumulated goodwill or credibility that they can then use as a shield against these kinds of questions. And I, I just noted earlier in the week, we had the absurdity of, on the one hand, the liberals insisting that don't worry, we're going to nail the vaccine rollout. And on the other hand, we apologize for missing our deadline for cleaning up the water on indigenous reserves. I know these are unrelated issues. Like I know they're related to different parts of the government, but there is a competency question here. And it's it's asking a lot of Canadians if we're just to basically take their word for it. Well, that's my last question is, is have they squandered... Um and I don't mean to say this in a, in a negative light, it's just a fact. Um, you said a minute ago that, you know, it, they might be better served even if the answer is saying, you know, I just don't know. We don't know yet. But can they no longer do that politically because of all the stuff you just mentioned? You know what? That's a really interesting question. And I, I think if they did it in a responsible way, if they included the opposition in briefings, if they gave us more technical briefings, if they allowed us great, if they permitted greater transparency as to what the actual contracts say, you can, I think you can get away with an I don't know if you explain the reasons why you don't know. Like if you just shrug theatrically and go, I don't know. Yeah, that probably doesn't uh, do you any favors. But I think if you actually say, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and how that's going to affect the rollout. I think it does matter. But again, I said, I mean, any Canadian government is just reflexively hostile to transparency. And even in emergencies, that can be a hard impulse to overcome. Well, that's that's just great. I guess we will wait and see, Matt. Thank you uh, for helping us try to get to the bottom of this. And uh, what a good pup who stayed quiet for the whole interview. Well, maybe the microphone wasn't picking it up. He wasn't quite as quiet as you might think. He's been scratching a hole through my carpet the whole time. So he's as frustrated (laughs) at the accountability issues as I am. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Matt Gurney, if you want to check out his newsletter, it's code47.substack.com. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. I'm sure some of you have some feedback after that one. You can always email it to us, the Big Story Podcast, all one word, all lowercase at rci.rogers.com. And as always, find us in your podcast player, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, don't make me keep going down the list. It's really long. Claire Broussard and Stephanie Phillips produce The Big Story. Ryan Clark is our audio engineer. Annalisa Nielsen is our digital editor. And I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Help is on the way. Have a great weekend. We'll talk Monday.